The Night Owl Podcast, Episode 31, The Gaslight Baker Theater, Part 2. Welcome to The Night Owl Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Ballou, and this is a place for all you restless spirits out there to tune in and hear true tales of the paranormal. I hunt these stories down, capture them from the mouths of those who experience them, and share them with you, right here. If you have a story to tell, we're currently looking for more personal ghost stories, so if you or someone you know has one, please submit it to us for consideration. Go to thenightowlpodcast.com, click on the Submit Your Story page, and let us hear your ghost story. We'd love to consider it for the show. Previously in episode 30, we began an investigation of a historic theater located in downtown Lockhart, Texas. We interviewed several people with first-hand accounts of experiences they'd had at the Gaslight Baker Theater. Through their testimony, we learned that they believed the theater to be inhabited by several otherworldly inhabitants, including the original owner, Colonel Baker, a woman or women whose laughter is often heard coming from the lobby, which they refer to as the Laughing Lady or Ladies, and finally, there's a darker, more sinister spirit many have dubbed the Other Guy. Now, we delve deeper into this case by uncovering more eyewitness testimony, and on one hot, balmy night, we bring along clairvoyant friend Sarah to investigate the strange occurrences and paranormal claims surrounding this beautiful, historic theater. Stay tuned. Before we dive into tonight's episode, I want to take a moment to say thank you. Thank you for your continued support over this very trying last year. Without the loyalty of listeners like you, this indie show would be nothing more than an idea. And an extra special thank you goes out to our Patreon supporters. Your contributions have single-handedly allowed us to keep our show alive throughout this difficult time. We are constantly blown away by the support you show us, but this last year has truly been incredible. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by City Alchemist Occult Books and Candles. You know him as our occult specialist, Alexis, but this is him and his partner, Eric Shop in town. City Alchemist is truly the place to go for all your spiritual practice supplies and needs. Owners Eric and Alexis, whom you should know, are always available to help with their expertise, offering spiritual guidance, readings, and cleansings. The shop is located in East Austin on historic 6th Street. Visit CityAlchemist.com to learn more. And currently, if you visit City Alchemist, you can actually purchase Night Owl merchandise and get information on our ghost tours. So stop on by. This episode is also brought to you by Oh Boy Print Shop. By now, you should know they offer clean, crisp printing without setup fees or hidden costs. But what you may not know is how hard they work for their customers. They spend countless hours hunting down the materials to ensure client satisfaction and work until every last detail is just right. Visit oboyprintshop.com and start dreaming up your next custom project today. Mention the Night Owl podcast and you'll receive $50 off your first order. And be sure to stay tuned to learn more about our new merch and tour offerings coming this fall and winter. As you heard in the previous episode, many of the staff, volunteers, and patrons of the Gaslight Baker Theater recounted many unexplained experiences. And through their testimony, they also began to paint a picture of the beautiful history of this building. Before exploring the new testimony that surfaced following our first visit, I wanted to provide a refresher of the Gaslight Baker Theater's history with a brief timeline. The theater was built in 1920 by Colonel A.D. Baker 
and was considered at the time to be one of the most elegant and modern theaters in the entire state. Colonel Baker owned and operated the theater until his death on September 12, 1936. It has been stated by many of the citizens of Lockhart that he died in his office at the theater of a heart attack. The Baker Show Company, headed by Colonel Baker's widow, Eddie, continued to operate the theater and sometime in the 1950s, the theater underwent a major remodeling which removed much of the original decorations and gave the theater a more modern look. The theater was sold in 1959 to August Valentine and his wife Anne. August died on September 3rd, ironically, 1966, but his widow continued to operate the theater until 1984 at which time the theater closed to the public. In 1997, the building was purchased by the Lockhart Community Theater Group and operated as a community theater. And in 2007, the Gaslight Baker Theater Group was founded to provide theater and education for the Lockhart community and continues in that role today. After my initial visit to the Gaslight back on February 13th of 2020, my curiosity had been piqued regarding the unique experiences all had had at the theater. If you recall, board member Tim had put word out to the Lockhart community and the theater staff and patronage to see who would come forward with their own personal experiences. Well, that night, little by little, people filtered into the theater to share their unusual encounters in this building. But following this initial investigation, Tim reached out to let me know a few more people had responded to his call for stories. And although the pandemic had already struck our nation, I still wanted to hop on a call and see what more I could learn about the paranormal activities surrounding the gaslight. There were several new voices willing to share their experiences, including an architect who volunteered to measure the entire historic building alone and had an unnerving encounter in a dark, confined space in the gaslight. There's also a longtime member and now treasurer of the gaslight who's had numerous experiences there, including a vivid and strange dream where he believes the spirits of the gaslight came to share their perspective with him in his sleep. And lastly, a member of a paranormal investigative team that spent one night in the theater and documented numerous experiences throughout the building. So let's dive back into this case and hear what these voices had to share. My name's Robert Steinbomer, and I have lived in Lockhart since 99 and was drawn to the Gaslight Baker Theater because of the people and because the building is wonderful. And I'm an architect, and I have spent the past almost 40 years documenting old buildings and helping restore old buildings. I I volunteered on my own to measure that building because nobody had drawings or plans of it. I, I measured it by myself, and no one else was there. And in doing that, I ended up in some places would make most people uncomfortable. I was up in a place under the floor of what used to be the projection booth when it was a movie theater. And a lot of that stuff up there was just abandoned. And I had to crawl in on my elbows and belly into a place and I had a flashlight and some you know, measuring tape and some notes. And not an easy place to get out of. And there was structure and, you know, wire and stuff in there. So there was it was a cramped, not uncomfortable for, for me, maybe for a lot of people it would be, but I was I knew when I crawled in there that I was going to be in that situation, and I uh, just expected to be alone. And of course, it was dark, but I've shined a flashlight in before, and I never go into a space 
without trying to see if I'm going to be alone. And as I crawled in and realized that my body was entirely within this void, still somewhat entangled, it's not exactly the right word, but engaged, I would say, between the floor structure and framing and bracing and so forth. And it was after I was fully engaged all the way in there past the hatch that I, I felt like there was something to my left. And I, I sort of rolled on my side and looked that direction and there was a, another being as far as I could tell. That's the best way I can describe it. There was some feeling of a movement of air, not cold, not warm. There was no sense of threat or dread, but just the spookiness of you know, being alone with something that you don't understand yet. Shined the flashlight and didn't see anything, didn't see any movement, but there was definitely a physical presence. I mean, I spoke to it. There was, I, I always do that when I've been confronted like this before. I knew I had to control my emotions and not be stupid and try to rush and get away from something that didn't, really seemed to pose a threat but there was definitely if i could describe it as a mass there was something there as big as me was a person or a a person's spirit that fit the size of a a body if i could reach out and touch it it was that close it was a little little uh, stressful at first but i finally decided i either just had to leave and not accomplish my task or just be calm and I couldn't get up and walk away, so I I had my measuring tape and a notepad, and I took a couple of critical dimensions I went in there for and slowly backed out on my stomach and elbows, and by the time I started backing out, it was not there. There was no sense of feeling another being at all, and I'm kind of sorry for that. Closed the hatch and went on, but... I was definitely not alone. I was joined by something or somebody. It's interesting to think about whether I felt the presence of a male or a female because I projected a, a sense of a male. I had no idea why, but I, I, you know, I tried to imagine this figure just, you know, arm's length away from me and the, the, the volume I thought I was receiving almost as though you could spray a mist on it. And it and it felt to me like that would have been a male. And of course, I didn't have any mist to spray. I've heard other stories about the, the baker, and usually they, the ones I had been told at that point, this was 10 or 12 years ago, as stories I'd heard at that point, it mostly turned up with, with some kind of presence up in the actor's really green room or dressing room at the other end of the theater. This is the opposite end. This is near the front, over the entry lobby, which was under the projection booth above the back of the balcony. And I hadn't heard anything about that end of it, but there was there was unquestionably someone there to help. If I had any notion about who it could be, I would only think it's someone who maybe occupied that projection booth over years or a long time and had a special association with it. Otherwise, I, I um, had no more experiences and measured the whole building. My name is David Schneider. 
I am currently one of the treasurers for the Gaslight Baker Theater. Um, I moved to Lockhart in 1996. When I first got involved with the theater, they had been doing some remodeling. They had just purchased it. It was a movie theater at the time that had been out of commission for many years and had been uh, in, in a state of somewhat disrepair. And so they cleared out one-third of the seats in the auditorium and built a, a stage, attached it to the vaudeville stage, and that became the performance space. Unfortunately, I wasn't there when they were doing all of the remodeling of, of that portion of it. But when they dropped the movie screen, they revealed a, a beautiful column arch that had been slightly cut away in order to make room for the movie theater screen. But back behind is the original Romeo and Juliet entrances that were part of the vaudeville stage. There's a tremendous amount of history that's there in the theater. When they did the remodel, it went into a Moroccan theme done with beautiful faux beams, uh, according to the, the plans, with green glass and wrought iron chandeliers, Moroccan Celtic crosses in the tile work. Uh, and all of that was ripped out in the 1950s to give it the steamship look that it currently has. And unfortunately, all that, that beauty disappeared. I got involved with the theater when they were looking to have someone come in and, and help paint. And of course, we have you know 22-foot walls, and I'm not afraid of heights. So uh, I started out coming in there to, to paint the interior of the theater. It uh, sparked back in my blood, and I started doing a lot of stuff with the theater, and I was, I was very heavily involved. During that time, we did a production called Noises Off. That was probably my first experience that made me think something was odd. During our productions, from that point and, and for many subsequent years, we have many smoke detectors throughout the theater. And a lot of times, we'll get a single chirp from one of the smoke detectors. We change the batteries out every year, like you're supposed to, and it'll just be a single chirp. There's, it's not when a battery goes dead and it, it chirps continuously for a period of time. It's a single chirp, and it's not always the same detector. It'll go throughout the theater at, at different times. When we changed out the lights on the lighting grid, we started noticing that during certain productions, an individual light would burn out a bulb for five times during the run of a production. It would always be the same fixture, and we would change out the lights. And every time you'd put up a new light, you'd still get it burning out. But it's, you know, it, it's, it's unusual things that are just kind of quirky. You know, when a smoke alarm goes off because of a, a low battery, um, anybody who's been woken up in the middle of the night to, uh, to a smoke alarm chirping knows that they chirp continuously. And so to have, you know, individual smoke alarms that may one time be on the stage and one time be in the balcony and one time be backstage is unusual. Uh, and then to have multiple light fixtures, um, have bulbs go out, and it be the same fixture or the same location. It, it's just kind of, it's just hard to imagine what it could possibly be. We did find out in doing some research on the theater that Colonel Baker had passed away in his office. He had been doing a, a matinee run and had closed himself in the office and the box office personnel 
uh, came in after the show and found that he had, he had died in his office. We found some other write-ups uh, in the newspaper later about that. So uh, we always think that Colonel Baker is, is there in the theater, and he's fairly benevolent spirit. And so it got to be everybody started thinking that it was Colonel Baker. So the joke was whenever the smoke alarm went off during a production or during a rehearsal, you would just quietly thank Colonel Baker for for his contribution. So we've always had a, had a really good feeling about, about that. He was a, a major presence in, in Lockhart. In fact, we, we were planning for our 100th anniversary of the um, of the theater before COVID struck, and so we were we were planning that that hundred year celebration, um, and we had a a lady who's kind of acted as the, the Gaslight Baker historian, and she's pulled up dozens and dozens of articles. He was quite a character. He was a, a showman, almost a little like the the old circus barkers. He had a car that was kind of unheard of at the time, but you know he would drive around town and yell out you know the movies that were being played, and he did extravagant items like had a, uh, a biplane uh, fly over the town and, and drop out, I believe it was oatmeal packets for the kids to advertise a war movie. He was known to, to hook up the pumper cars for the fire department to his car to be able to move them faster to, the, uh, to fires. So he, but he was quite, quite a character. He lived just about, I guess, about three blocks down on Main Street, it's interesting when you when you look at the life of Colonel Baker, the theater really was his life. So the fact that he died in the office is, I think, just kind of testament to what kind of a character he was in, in the life of the theater. You know, it started with him, and, you know, basically his uh, his life ended there, and I think that's kind of fitting for Colonel Baker. Uh, I was building a set for Noises Off and was in the theater by myself, which is a stupid idea when you're building a two-story set. And I had put up the, the staircase and was getting ready to mount it. And I had a strange deja vu feeling as I'm standing in the middle of one set of steps and attaching the next set of steps that the upper portion of the stairs slides down and breaks both of my legs. So I stepped out of that and I reached for a screw and the moment I did, the second half of the staircase slid down and crashed to the floor. And after I was a, a little bit shaken, I locked everything up, thanked Colonel Baker, and left for the night, and then waited until I had some assistance. Uh, so I think that was a, a premonition that I at least thanked Colonel Baker for reminding me of the stupidity of standing in a staircase when you're working on it. We've had you know, very few incidences that have occurred in the theater. We had an accident with a woman that was on the board who had walked across a stage that we had, had built uh, and not knowing that a platform had been removed, walked off the, the platform and, and fell onto a ladder and broke a number of ribs, one that punctured her lungs. And luckily, she had the forethought to uh, grab a, a blanket that she felt there in the dark and rolled it up and, and propped it underneath her, to, uh, which saved her life because her lungs didn't fill with blood. And then uh, a co-worker found her about an hour later and called 911. So uh, we think Colonel Baker was there in, in that instance to help her out as well. When you're in the lobby, there are times when the air gets incredibly cold. If you're standing by the concession counter, even if the air conditioning is off, 
all of a sudden there will be a, a drastic change in temperature outside of the, the office on the side of the concession. One time when I was, I'd been up there at the theater, I'd been walking my dogs down to the square, and I'd gone in to check on everything and get them a, a, a bowl of water. And so as we finished, I turned off all the lights in the theater, and the dogs were waiting in the lobby, and I closed the door to the auditorium, and as I walked back over to the, the dogs, one side of the double doors opened all the way to the wall, uh, not just pushing open slightly. And as I pushed the door back, I heard a woman's voice giggling. And at that point in time, the dogs had moved away from me to the far door, and I hooked on their leashes and, and we walked out. That's the only time I think I've heard the laughing woman. In 2007, the Lockhart Community Theater and another local theater merged to form what is now the Gaslight Baker Theater. It was after this merger that David and others began to feel a more ominous presence, one you might recall as Other Guy, from earlier interviews I conducted on this case. When I was at the theater before, everything seemed comfortable. I was, I was there many times, late, late in the evenings, uh, working on sets, and was there by myself with, with not an issue. With the merger of the two theaters, something else seemed to, to be there that wasn't as benevolent as, as Colonel Baker. When we did a production with a number of youth called Still Life with Iris, we started having issues with some of the younger actresses feeling less comfortable being on, uh, on the stage right portion of the stage. They kept complaining about it being colder over there than the rest of the, uh, the rest of the stage. During one of our performances, one of the actresses felt pushed onto the stage um, before she was supposed to come out. And so it, it became an eerie presence that we nicknamed Other Guy, which was one of the characters in the, in the Still Life with Iris. And Other Guy started making the experiences in the theater feel much more oppressive. We started having concerns with people um, staying there after midnight. When you were there alone, uh, you had a feeling that it was very uncomfortable being in the theater. It felt like you weren't wanted there. You get a, a sense that you need to leave. And one time I let everybody go and, and got everything locked up and turned off all the lights on the stage. And you have to turn off the lights from the auditorium upstairs in the, what was the old booth, um, or on the far side of the, the stairs going up on the, the office side. When you turn off the lights in the very back, the stage lights, and had to walk through a dark auditorium, and all you could see was the glow of the, of the lobby lights, uh, it was, it's a little, it's a little intimidating. Um, and I remember one time I was there and had to use the restroom. And as soon as I was in there, I heard both doors of the auditorium bump as if someone had come in and come out. Um, and obvious to say, I, I immediately left. <laughs> but there are experiences like that that, um, and I don't know if they build to where your own subconscious starts playing tricks, um, but there are enough of them that just, makes you feel uneasy. But the presence of other guy has, has been around for a while and, and seems to get stronger and stronger. We did a 
show one time that required us to have a Ouija board on stage. And so we were concerned about the presence of other guy. So we had a, a lady who had been studying to be a curandero come in and sage the building, uh, not to make other guy leave, but to kind of help reduce some of his power, um, at least while we had on the, the stage and, and was using the Ouija board. We thought that it was in our best interest to avoid any problems. That seemed to help for a while. It seemed to be more comfortable, and then things seemed to get a little more uncomfortable. Um, I think there are times when there are people who won't go to the theater after midnight. I myself won't go up there. We've had a number of kids who have taken an interest in staying overnight, but it's not something that, that you have me do. Other guys seems to, even in the time after the merger, seems to get stronger during periods of time and then has a tendency to fade. Now, I don't know if that was just the, the saging of the building. And in, in, in talking to her, she said that she didn't want to completely eliminate him because he, he belonged there in the building. So she didn't think that, that she should banish him uh, because that was his home, but she wanted to make sure that she took away some of his power if, um, if we were going to be using the Ouija board. Somebody else who has, I guess, these these feelings, I guess they pick up on something. I'm not necessarily sure that they would call themselves a psychic, but they said that they think that theaters draw on the energy of the things that you bring in. And what she was wondering is whether or not something that is attached to those may decide that they like the theater better than where they were attached before. Um, and she just wonders whether or not other guy draws energy from the things we bring into the theater and just kind of absorbs that as well. I thought that was an interesting concept. I think what was really interesting the most about the explanation of other guys is about probably close to 10 or 15 years ago, I'd had a, a strange dream that I thought was really interesting. Uh, the fact that even when I'd woken up, it was still so vivid in my mind of what had occurred. In the dream, I was up in the women's costume closet uh, in the balcony area, and I had been hanging up costumes. And in the dream, I, I turned around, and there's a, an older gentleman that's, that's standing there, and I thought it was unusual. He's wearing a, a kind of a English riding cap, you know, kind of a floppy hat with a, with a brim on it. And he's carving into an apple with a pocket knife. And in the dream, he startles me, and, and I turned around and asked him what he was there. And he said, well, you know, he was looking around, and he offered me a slice of the apple. And I said, no, no, thank you. And he, he said, I think you really want a slice of the apple. And so I took it, and as soon as I bit into it, I, I felt that I couldn't stand correctly. I, I kept falling to the floor, and I told him I, I felt a little uneasy, that everything was, was, was bizarre. And he cracked a joke that I said, well, can I imagine what Eve felt like? I always thought that was really interesting in the, in the dream. And then, surprisingly, we walked out of the wall, and he said that when I couldn't get my footing, that I had to remember that I had to stay in my world. The stairs and the staging up there had been completely rebuilt, and, and I had known that that had happened. We were there. We had it rebuilt for the Glenn Miller Orchestra and had made larger seating areas to accommodate the new seating. So I knew that that was there, and so it was interesting to have that filter into my dream. But when I looked out, all of the chairs um, were there, and they had uh, wispy 
uh, I guess, uh, apparitions that were sitting in there, and they looked almost like tongues of fire. And when I asked the gentleman what those were, and he said that those were the experiences of everybody that were in the theater. And he said the reason why theaters were haunted so often is that every time something occurred on screen, that the emotions of the people that were sitting in the chairs left a piece of their energy, an imprint of being happy or sad or scared. And then that little bit of their imprint over time just created this this impression that, that was left there. And as he was discussing this, I saw somebody rise up from where the stage had been built, stands up so only half of them is visible, and walks across to the far side and disappears through the wall. And the door slams abruptly. And I said, well, what was his problem? And he said, you took his seat and you closed his door. And I thought that was really interesting. We continue going down the stairs. And he says, we've got to get out of the building. And I start hearing commotion outside. And as we walk outside, I see old-fashioned firemen on a pumper truck. And they're putting out the swear engine building that was, in, was on fire. It's interesting how I've, I'd done some research on the theater. So I, I knew about fire at the swear engine. In fact, the the charred timbers are, are still uh, in the roof of that building. They were rebuilt into the new building. So I knew some of the history, but it was interesting to have it all come together in a dream. About a couple of months after that, um, we were removing some shelving that was back in the back where what I referred to as other guy left the auditorium. And when we moved the cabinet out, we realized that the original exit to the theater there on the stage right side went into what is now the storage building of the building next to us. In fact, it had only been half built. Um, the portion of the stage was still open, allowing for air movement and, and rodents and so forth. So we've since closed all of that off to secure the building, but it was surprising to know that a doorway was actually there where, where other guys had left. But I love the theater. I think it is a happy place. Other guy seems to only be there at certain times. Um, I do think that Colonel Baker is a benevolent spirit that's there. I think he kind of watches over the place. The gaslight, it feels like home. I think a lot of the people that come there have positive experiences, um, and I think the audiences do as well. If someone were to ask me if I thought that the Baker was haunted as a building, um, I would say definitely. I think Colonel Baker watches over us. I think other guy... I'm not sure where he came from, why his presence manifested itself much later in my experiences, and I've only heard the, the laughing woman one time. Um, but I do think that there's, there's something to be said about the experiences that we have in a theater and how much of, you know, if you think of the last time you saw a movie, how many times your energy changed during a, during a production that... You know, it's, it's not improbable that we leave a piece of that there that remain after we've left. My name is Frank Gonzalez, and I am the co-founder and lead investigator of the San Marcos Area Paranormal Society. We have been doing this for six years now, and we investigate all of San Marcos, Texas, and surrounding cities. We do a residential 
cases along with business cases. Everything we do is free of charge. Everything we do is confidential. And we pretty much go wherever we need to go. We were called by the Guess Like Baker Theater in the summer of 2018. They were planning on doing their 100-year celebration, and they wanted to have us go out and either prove or disprove some claims that they were having because they've always had claims of uh, paranormal activity from several people over the years. So they wanted us to go out there and see what we could come up with. So in the summer of 2018, June, I believe, we went out there. We It was a group of four of us. We went out there. We set up some recorders, our DVR system. We set up uh, some video cameras and along with digital cameras. And we were there, I'm going to guess, probably four, four hours. And in that time, we did walk around. We did hear some footsteps in the back of the back of the stage, so we'd go out that way. Never did find anybody. We'd walk up to the balcony. We would hear footsteps and doors closing in the projector room area. We would go take a look. There was nothing up there. We would sit quietly all together so we know nobody else was in the building. It was just the four of us. And we would listen, and we would hear footsteps again in the back of the back behind stage. We would check our DVR system, and we wouldn't see anybody there. But we could still hear voices and footsteps. At one time, we did go through the, the dressing room, the main dressing room. I believe it was the women's dressing room behind stage. And one of the members had her hair pulled. And she turned around real quick. Of course, nobody was there. And later that night, when we reviewed our our recordings, we did catch a female voice that said, make her move. We continued to the other dressing room that's also in the back of the, behind the stage. And we caught another female voice that said, move along. So we continued our investigation. We sat in the dark. We waited. We did catch a shadow because we had heard that there was someone, but I think they went, they called him the other guy. So we kind of focused on that, that area of the stage. And we did catch a shadow that crossed the stage. It went from right to left and it kind of just, faded off into the into the hallway, into the wall. And we did also get some knocking in the projector room area. Again, we were all downstairs. Nobody was upstairs. And we would hear some knocking, and we heard a male voice had come in. So we went upstairs to the projector room area. There was nothing up there, no one there. But we did catch that on, on our recorder. One of our team members that was with us in the dressing room to the right of the behind the stage, she had just walked in and she almost practically, uh, she described it as she almost ran into a, a female that was upstairs. What she described it was maybe a 70s hairstyle, just kind of like, like she almost ran into her, just kind of, and she disappeared real quick. As, as quick as she popped in, she popped back out again. She said she looked like maybe a, 
from the Charlie's Angel '70s show, Jacqueline Smith. You know the full, the full brunette hair, very dark brown or black hair. We also did pick up a name. I'm trying to think. It's in the bio, in the in the projector room. I'm thinking it was a uh, Frederick. I think we heard the name Frederick up in the balcony in the projector room. We do believe that yes, there there's plenty there to over the years being that building being a hundred years plus there's more than enough activity to, that still remains within the wall and in that building. These new stories that came forward not only expanded on the common experiences had by many at the theater, but brought to the surface some new isolated occurrences as well. It was clear to see that many longtime theater members and volunteers felt strongly about Colonel Baker being one of the predominant spirits in the building. And many claims do seem to support that there was indeed a more ominous presence felt on stage right, as well as a friendly female presence in the lobby area. After this short break, we'll visit the Gaslight Baker Theater with our clairvoyant friend Sarah with hopes of connecting with the supposed spirits that haunt this historic building. And maybe, just maybe, find out who these spirits actually are. Stay tuned. If you're not currently on Patreon, let me tell you a little bit about it, and I hope you might consider joining our Night Owl community. In exchange for as little as a dollar a month, you'll get access to all current and past behind-the-scenes video walkthroughs, interviews, Q&As, and more. We'll be tearing our Patreon soon, so joining now to access the entire archive at $1 a month is a heck of a deal. If Patreon just isn't for you, the best way to help put the Night Owl podcast in front of new ears is by giving us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or anywhere you get your podcasts. The more ratings we have and the higher the rating we have, the more we will be featured and recommended across listening platforms. Share what you love about the show and help others find a new favorite binge, which is hopefully us. When I'm out investigating for the show, it's important that I keep myself protected both mentally and spiritually. That's why I turn to City Alchemists, Occult Books, and Candles. Not only do they provide an array of spiritual and witchy goods, they also partake in the historical service of fixing or customizing candles so they are ready to burn for intended purpose with no additional prep work. So go browse their amazing selection of goods, grab a candle, say hi to Alexis and Eric, and now you can also snag some Night Owl merch or grab some info on our ghost tours while you're at it. City Alchemist, it's where the witches go to shop. I'm also very excited to inform you that we have new Night Owl merch on the way. It's a new piece I'm very excited about, a screen-printed flannel that will make you the envy of campfires everywhere from our incredible sponsor, Oh Boy Print Shop. The pandemic has presented challenges to us all, and Oh Boy is no exception. Like many businesses, they've experienced trouble sourcing materials. But what sets them apart is that they take the time to get to know their customers and find a product that most closely fits their needs. If you're looking for custom shirts, hats, bags, accessories, look no further than Oh Boy Print Shop. And don't forget, mention the Night Owl Podcast to receive $50 off your first order. Se habla espanol. Lastly, we're happy to announce that we are now offering monthly guided ghost tours at Pioneer Farms. This unique tour will take you on a paranormal adventure exploring the haunted sites and trails of the 90-acre homestead featured on our show. The haunted hike features numerous spooky stops, each with its own tale, rich with history and paranormal experiences. You'll walk the trails of the spirited acreage with an intuitive guide to help you navigate the land, structures, and spirits. If you're a fan of history and haunts, 
this tour is for you. To find out more information, including dates and times, visit thenightowlpodcast.com and click on our Ghost Tours tab. Stay restless out there. Following all my interviews, my dad, who's been my go-to historical researcher since season two, began gathering all the data he could surrounding the gaslight. Meanwhile, I was able to get in touch with a local historian for the gaslight as well. This building had such a colorful past, I feel it's important to relay as much of the building's timeline to you as possible before we jump into our findings with Sarah. So let's take a look back at the Baker Theater in the town of Lockhart, taken from the pages of newspapers, magazine articles, and personal testimonies of residents and noted historians of this location. Based on information received from Sharon Miller, who had done extensive research on the theater in preparation for their 100th anniversary, Colonel Arthur D. Baker arrived in this quiet little town of Lockhart in 1910 and proceeded to give the residents their first taste of vaudeville and motion picture entertainment when he opened the Majestic Theater at the corner of South Main and San Antonio Street. Around this same time, he also opened the Air Dome, an outdoor fair-weather movie venue located next to what was called the Swearinger Building at 216 South Main Street. The Airdome was eventually torn down in May of 1920. According to an article entitled Doorway into the Past, written in July of 2018, Baker's original theater burned down sometime prior to 1920, and Colonel Baker built a newer modern theater which opened in October 1920 at 216 South Main Street. This is the exact same building where the Gaslight Baker Theater resides today. Baker owned and operated this theater until his death on September 12, 1936. Colonel Baker was known as the ultimate showman, and it seems fitting that he not only poured his whole life into this theater, but also met his end suffering a heart attack in the office of the theater during a Saturday afternoon matinee. Colonel Baker was not only a natural showman, he was a successful promoter, a leader of the community, and a very generous and friendly man to anyone who ever met him. His promotional stunts included bringing in a real biplane and parking it in front of his theater to advertise an upcoming film, sponsoring dance-a-thons, ticket giveaways, and sponsoring a ladies' sawing match. Each year at Christmas time, Baker would invite all the children of the community to a free movie and gifts of fruit and candy. According to an article in the Austin American Statesman written December 27th of 1925, Baker even gave each child in attendance at that year's Christmas matinee two buffalo nickels. Colonel Baker's mission in life seemed to be to bring joy to all those he came into contact with in the Lockhart community, even during some of the troubling times he experienced while residing here. In 1918, our country was hit by the epidemic known as the Spanish Influenza. 675,000 deaths were attributed to the Spanish flu in our country, and Lockhart, Texas was affected by this terrible epidemic as well. According to the Lockhart Post Register, dated October 1918, a proclamation was issued by the mayor of Lockhart, closing all schools until further notice, prohibiting gatherings of people not absolutely necessary and, if necessary, to be held outdoors, suspension of all church services until further notice, and urging parents to keep their children at home and not allow them to play in the streets. Any of this sound familiar? Yeah. Colonel Baker's business was directly affected by the epidemic in that he had to close the theater for a time and fumigate the building prior to reopening. In November of that same year, armistice was declared, ending World War I. Colonel Baker proudly displayed a 60-foot flag at his theater and gave free movie passes to all returning soldiers. After Colonel Baker's death, the Baker Show Company took over the operation of the theater, 
1938, LJ, aka Pee-wee, Pee-wits, and his wife Ida acquired an ownership interest in the theater. The theater continued operation under their guidance and underwent major remodeling in the 1950s. The theater was sold in 1959 to August Jonathan Valentine and became a family-owned theater with his wife Anne and children Augusta, Valerie, Alice, and Virginia. August died sadly on September 3rd of 1966, and his wife Anne continued to operate the theater until March of 1984. The theater remained dormant until 1997, when the building was given new life after being purchased by the Lockhart Community Theater Group. In 2007, the Gaslight Baker Theater was founded to provide live theater and education for the community of Lockhart. As with any haunted location, it's easy to assume that the most dominant person tied to the history of that location would logically be someone who would want to attach themselves to that site. Would it be so far-fetched as to believe that someone such as Colonel Baker, who had so many enjoyable moments and experiences here at this theater, would not want to maintain some ties to it? A place where so much laughter and joy took place for him would certainly be a place to return to, spiritually or otherwise. I'd be lying to you if I said I wasn't nervous about Sarah visiting this place. I've mentioned this before in previous episodes, most notably Elysium. I'm a truth seeker, and sometimes I worry what truth could do to a community who have developed strong beliefs and feelings about spirits that they have had personal interactions with. I'm never certain what energies or spirits Sarah is going to discover on her visit, and it's always a bit disheartening if they don't line up with what the community believes is there. I guess because in a way... It can feel like we are destroying what they truly want to believe about their own personal haunting. We returned to the gaslight on the night of August 28, 2020. It was our first time back since February 3rd because the pandemic had hit us unexpectedly and halted the investigation of this case by six months. And when we returned... We had to conduct our investigation a lot differently than we were used to. At this time during the pandemic, I wanted to keep my team as safe as possible, and so I required everyone to wear their mask while on the case and indoors. We also maintained a minimum six feet distance, which meant I had to try a new means of recording via wireless lavalier mics. It was very challenging, and I have to put a disclaimer here that the audio you're about to hear is not going to be up to the quality that the show has been simply because we were met with a ton of new challenging obstacles to continue the show during the pandemic. Also, please keep in mind, my voice as well as voices of my team and theater volunteers will sound distant and in the background, so please don't get too excited thinking that you're catching spirits talking in the background. That's just us, a lot more muffled than usual. Okay, so I'll tell you what I've got, and then we'll focus where you want me to focus. Okay. Top mezzanine, there's one spirit, a female. In the crowd, there's three. Uh, And I say crowd, I'm going to use that term because that's what it would look like. Uh, Crowd, there's three of them. Male, all three. Interesting. Then upstairs upstairs is the one that's going to get me. But it's the downstairs that's a little weird. Downstairs, backstage... I feel like there was something else there. Like it should have been, like really the space should have felt like it should have been bigger. Maybe this, before it was a theater, was something else. I don't know. It feels cut off a little bit. But the spirits from that time, before 
all this was made or while it was being made, I'm not quite sure. But that's downstairs. And then there's one that's just floating around. He's really, okay, so I can't peg him, but eventually I'm sure he'll stop. But he's floating around between out here in the back and up the back stairs, backstage stairs. So there's just the one. And then there's the weird woman, the one that runs the roost. And she, I only saw her when I came in. And it's really strange because as I started walking around, it's like she made it a point not to show. I can feel her, I can't see her, not to show herself. And I think it's that one up there. No, that's a different person. That's a different person, that's a lot. And you have a lot of passerbys, so I'm gonna scan real quick. Oh, up and then the front bathrooms, I forgot. About the two girls in the front bathroom. Let me quickly recap this and explain it since our clairvoyant friend sort of jumped right into pointing out all the energy she was feeling. She had done a quick walkthrough and gathered impressions, then met me on the stage to give me this rundown you just heard. To help you listeners stay with us, let me detail where Sarah was picking up what she just explained. There was a woman spirit up in the balcony seats looking down at us on the stage. Then Sarah had been guided around the stage and backstage area by a strong male presence who also seemed to hang mostly around these areas. She also explained that he really liked the upstairs dressing room. And if you can recall, that's the room upstairs and backstage that many reported feeling uncomfortable and attributed to having some negative energy or presence in. Then Sarah explained there was another female presence, one who she claimed was the strongest, yet was dodging and cleverly avoiding Sarah the whole time. She believes she was also up in the balcony area as well, but couldn't quite pinpoint her yet. And lastly, after this first pass, Sarah mentioned that she found two young women in the lobby bathroom area. At this point, I wanted to ask Sarah if she was picking up on any common activity that people would experience in the building. So if I'm here, maybe I'm practicing, it's late at night, I'm doing my thing, it's going to look as if somebody's sitting in the crowd. And it'll be something like either they're coming in and out of the door or the doors will shift a little bit. So you're going to see them kind of moving around. I think those are the three men that are here. The other one is the top, the very top will always cast a shadow, like almost across the, where the door is open right now, Mm -hmm. on the top, like mezzanine portion of the theater. Mm -hmm. You'll see the shadow go from the doorway across and maybe stop and then come back down towards the glass and stop a little bit and it's almost like they're just kind of in that area but it's going to be two different people so one's going to be that woman that I'm telling you is that's kind of like the one that runs the roost she's the one that's kind of working in the building it has been a long time since these guys have spoken to anybody so they're really active they're asking me like what happened why is nobody here what's going on that kind of stuff so I'm just answering them I'm gonna try to do like I'm doing a general this is the answer. Like, like the Spanish flu, yes. I was like, you know, the influenza and the, like that. But we're, that's why we're like this. As I mentioned before in the history breakdown, the gaslight was directly impacted by the Spanish flu. There are actual historical documents that state this. Listen to this call I had with Sharon, the historian who did research for the 100th anniversary of the gaslight building. When the Spanish-American flu hit, they had to close down. They had to fumigate it. You might pick up vibes from that time. But, you know, that was kind of fascinating, too. But there was no ifs, ands, and buts about it. You're closed down. And what they used to fumigate it, who knows? In 1918, in October, this article was advised that all public meeting places be closed. And then 
17th of October, 1918, uh, the newspaper article said that the picture shows will be suspended because of what they need to happen. They had to close for a while to take care of the, the flu problem. What's interesting was how within minutes of entering the building, Sarah was responding to the spirit's many questions about our masks and the more recent vacancy of the theater due to the COVID-19 pandemic. And after answering their questions, Sarah gave me a quick rundown of the predominant spirits in the building. So it's predominantly female at the top. So it's the one woman that I told you just kind of runs the roost of the ghosts, the, the spirits here. That one particular woman, I don't understand why she's so obsessed with being here, but she's not, she's never been like part of the building or part of the structure. She just kind of liked it here and stayed. So I don't know, there must be something she liked about the building, so she's here. And you'll see her predominantly either sitting or standing near, um, I guess it's the lighted, where the light is, the spotlight. Mm -hmm. So so you'll see her somewhere around that area. But that gliding, like almost like a shadow that you'll see go from the door to like the center, and then maybe come to the front and then recess by the door, they take the door and they, she descends the stairs. So she tends to descend through there and, and then come and kind of hang out in the doorways of the theater when there's activity. And then if she's not there, she'll come to the back. So she's, it's really interesting how she's, she's really patrolling almost the whole space. She's, she's your top person. Also, when she's not flighty with me, I'll, I'll talk to her some more. Let me talk to these others. It was interesting that Sarah was pointing out a strong female presence that she claimed was the strongest energy in the entire building, and that she seemed to be mostly focused on the balcony. We had one particular story from our first round of interviews that pointed out a feeling of being watched from the balcony. As I spent more time here doing other shows, there was always just an oddity about some of the spots in the theater. For me, those spots were in the balcony, house left, like kind of where we keep the costumes in the costume room. There's something a little eerie up there. I felt some cold spots in the costume room before. But it's interesting because there have also been times when I have been on stage rehearsing and thought that the director or someone was sitting up in that area of the balcony watching rehearsal only to find out that no, there wasn't anybody else here. This feeling of being watched is also intriguing because Sarah was picking up figures in the seats all throughout the auditorium. And here in the crowd, it's just those three men. So they'll be periodically sitting in different areas. It'll look like you have an audience member, but you don't. They're just kind of like taking up the spaces and kind of watch. At night, when you shut the lights off, it's going to appear as if somebody's sitting in, in here. And that's them. They tend to do that. They'll either crowd up, so it'll look like there's a lot of people, like three people here. Or they spread around, and it'll look like you have two separate people. And they even get up and walk. So you'll see like getting up and walking and you may even follow them out like, hey, you're not supposed to be in here. It's quiet. Then you follow them and nobody's there. That's kind of them. It's this, okay, okay, I know you're urgent. We'll get to you in a minute. Since we arrived, Sarah was being bombarded with requests and warnings from a male spirit that she encountered backstage. She was even led up to the women's dressing room upstairs behind the stage and pointed out that this was absolutely one of his favorite spots. Again, this dressing room was a place that many at the theater felt very uneasy and unwelcome in, as if someone didn't want you there. 
I was surprised how much the male spirit led Sarah around the stage and backstage when we first arrived and before we could even properly get mic'd up. But he didn't seem aggressive or negative, just urgent to show her around and point out several safety concerns he had. But while Sarah was giving us her initial breakdown in this moment, we were all standing on the stage when team member Alexis suddenly reported hearing something. And the whole time she was talking, somebody was walking behind me. Mm-hmm. I'd hear like, and then I'd turn, nothing. And then I'd hear, and I'm like, seriously, again? And then the third time y'all were talking, it happened again. Just somebody like, like if somebody was taking a step back or something. Okay. So that's the downstairs weird person that's back here. And it's really strange because he's floating between like the downstairs portion of, of the backstage area and that upstairs. So I really, I'm inclined to go up the stairs even though my body's like doesn't want to do it, but I will do it because there's something. It's something almost like he lived up there, spent a lot of time here, that kind of stuff. So he knows this area well. And I think that's why I'm like, I know something's wrong. Something's wrong with the building downstairs, like down there. That's not the right layout or it's not the right something something they added an extra wall somewhere they divided something out I don't know but it's like to me it doesn't seem quite right and I think I'm just seeing it from his perspective Sarah wouldn't have any way of knowing this at all but the areas she was pointing out were in fact renovated David who you heard earlier describe his dream mentioned the work being done on the theater and the doorway that was walled up on stage right as well as the stage being extended out more into the audience where it stands today I wanted to know more about this male presence now that Sarah was revealing a lot of validating information without even knowing it. He's more um, rugged, I guess is the word I'm looking for, more, he would be the one that's doing all the heavy lifting, like moving items that are, you know, big, moving them onto the stage, moving them off, doing that, like he has that kind of bravado to him when it comes to like being, I'm the one who does all this stuff. I was really curious about this male figure, obviously because of Colonel Baker and other guy being such prominent spirits the community felt strongly were here. I wanted to know more about the activity that this male figure Sarah was speaking to would be known to do. So he'll still, um, things go missing all the time. You'll swear to God, hey, I put it right here, put it right here, and then you walk away, you come back, and it's gone, and it's somewhere else. That's him. Uh, electronics get messed with. If you put your phone down in one area of the theater, it's not there. Uh, it, it shows up somewhere else where it wasn't. Uh, lots of jewelry seems to go missing. One of our stage managers, Sandra, her wedding ring went missing during one production, and she found it like in the auditorium and audience like two, two or three weeks later. Um, a lot of the common theme seems to be metal, honestly. Electronics jewelry, my cup being metal, which I didn't really ever think about until right now. It's his way of communicating. Right now, he's just kind of checking us out because nobody's been here for a bit. Oh, am I invading your space? I'm sorry. Oh, he likes this spot. Why? Why do you like this spot? Again, why does it seem like it's too small? Something in the wall. Again, Sarah was getting messages about a wall being wrong from this male presence. Then she suddenly got an image of him, finally. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Hold on. You gave me, you gave me a, a, see what you look like. You are wearing a hat. So it would have been, oh yeah. I've seen those. What, can I see without the hat? Oh, okay. Ick. Eric. Eric. Derek. 
Eric. Did you say about the, so um, this was, you were drawn here for that same guy downstairs? Yeah. I think he just likes hanging out. He hangs out here quite a bit. I think he likes the, the bustle, the hurry up, hurry up and get ready. Like, I think he loves that energy. I think that's why he hangs out here. He's feeding off of that kind of energy that builds up when you're when you're nervous, when you're going to do something, when you're preparing. I think that's the energy that he's he's coming up. Um, and I'm either it's like Eric, Derek, or Rick. It's one of those things. It's ending with an ick. So I said I call it ending. It's a nickname. <laughs> Eric, Derek, Rick is what it is. I'll narrow it down in in just a second. It's just he's he's excited. I'm trying to get him to yeah. I know the building doesn't seem right. Why doesn't it seem right? Modifications, boxes, boxes, boxes downstairs. Okay, let's see. Oh, you're gonna take me down these cr little crazy stairs right here? All right, so tell me what's wrong with the downstairs. What's happening? Oh, again? Because a lot of people have come through here. Okay, which one? Do I reach it? Do I reach the, does my hand reach there? What's in the view of my hand? I don't know, I'll have to look at that. Again, it's the panic. Something about under the stairs, boxes, too many boxes. Something about the boxes, I don't know. We'll see. At this point, Sarah was pulled directly backstage to the stairway that led directly under the stage. It was narrow, dark, and the space was really tough to navigate with the many boxes that were in there. So at this time, Sarah opted not to go in. But the male presence seemed to be trying to say something about that understage area. So we would eventually circle back here on this night. And then, tell me more, someone late. He's showing me different, um, different things that are happening back here. There was like a woman that was running from out of this stage, taking clothes off, going this way and coming back up around. And then there's more traffic kind of going back and forth. So he's showing me a lot of that. And he's giving me the like, I love that. Like that's his thing. So he must have been somebody who was associated with the theater for a really long time because he seems to just love the space. He just loves being here. Everything about it, everything around it. This was his passion, he just loved it. So he's, that's all, I'm, I'm getting so many, like when he made me touch the wall, I'm getting all the people that he's been around. The different things that he's seen or the different emotions that have happened. That's what I'm getting, it's just so much. Like it's really big. He has a lot of maintenance questions. It's really strange, like something about the flooring, like there's something in the flooring not right. He's giving me the like, if you were to run your hand smooth surface, there's like a divot in the floor. And you can feel it when you're walking and he's giving me like the danger, like that's very dangerous. Um, something about in the back, like in its chart, it's charged. Like, like I'm getting that feeling, the electric feeling. Um, something he wants you to check in the back. He's really demanding about the stage area. Make some space, take care of your, you know, he likes, if he's seeing something, he's gonna see it from here. So if people see him as they're coming off stage, either here or there, he'll stand in a position where he can see them and he can watch, he loves to see the reactions of the audience. That's his thing, like he loves that. He loves the nervous energy from everybody backstage but he still kind of wants to be the one that's kind of taking care of everything, like moving things around and lifting. It's really strange how involved he is uh, on all of that. This male figure was perplexing to me because there was some activity that made me feel this could possibly relate to Colonel Baker, but also relate to other guy. 
But what's strange is that this name did not match any names that we dug up in the history of this place. Eric, Derek, or Rick didn't align with Colonel Baker at all. Colonel Baker's middle name started with the D, but it turned out to be Dunn, not Derek. The spirit also didn't feel oppressing or threatening to Sarah, so that didn't line up with reports of other guy either. At this point, I was really unsure about this strong male presence that Sarah was communicating with. All we could do was press on and continue the investigation, allowing Sarah to lead us where she was pulled. The next place she was drawn was up to the balcony. Let's go see her. Let's go see her. Tell me a little bit about yourself. She is a passerby. Why did you stay? I wasn't clear on who Sarah began speaking to when we made it to the balcony, but we learned quickly that it was a female presence. However, it wasn't the strong female spirit she mentioned earlier. It was the one she saw sitting on the balcony seats when we were on the stage. Okay, so she has really long, dark hair. There's a little bit of a fascination with bangs because she didn't like her forehead. Why did you stay here? Why do you like the theater? Can you tell me how old you are? How old were you when you died? That's young. Can you show me what the cars looked like when you were younger? Is it because you'd never seen anything like it? Are you from here? Are you from Lockhart? I don't speak that language. Can you tell me again? Like this? A N N A. What hold are you? How you answered my question before I could ask it. Thank you. And you had children? Plural? More than one? I guess it's possible. She left. Okay, this. So her name is Anna. Er, Aunt. Yeah, Anna. I don't. She speaks another language. I'm assuming it's like a. I'm assuming it's like a German language or a, a rough language like that. Swedish. She's only. She died when she was in like her early twenties. She had two children. So this is a long time ago. This is way before. It's almost like the square was brand like new, right? Hustling, bustling, brand new city kind of being built up. But she came across the theater one day, just kind of the doors were open. She kind of came in because there was other spirits coming in. And she just kind of <laughs> stayed. She loved it. She liked, she loved, loves everything about it. You know, loses herself in the emotion. She loves being around um, the people, the crowds, and uh, she was asking about why there hasn't been any people lately, but she left right away, and then it just kind of went still, so I'm waiting to see why she left. So I was half expecting that other spirit to come up here, and she didn't, not yet. Even your passerby is just kind of, so I'm, I'm wondering if she's telling them either not to talk to me or she's just preparing to make an entrance. Waiting on the boss lady. That's who I'm waiting for, too. I can't gather it. It doesn't seem like she's mean. It seems more like she's just very present. I feel more like I'm, inva I'm invading the space. I think she's, I need to move someplace more neutral. I just don't know what, where that would be. Sadly, there were no connections I could make in history with this Anna spirit that Sarah spoke with on the balcony. She had some interesting notes, though. 
Her language being German or Swedish was intriguing because in our research we did discover there was a large German population that migrated to the Lockhart area. However, none of the previous owners, owners' wives, or prominent figures in the building's history connected to her. But Sarah did mention that she was merely a passerby, so that could explain the lack of connection in history. And as we waited to see if the stronger female presence would make herself known, I decided to reflect on some of the other energies that Sarah had felt in the building and asked her if she could elaborate on them. She brought up the two girls she saw in the downstairs lobby bathroom. So let me tell you about the ladies from the bathroom. So that was really funny because I walked in to, you know, just, you know, I had to go pee. I wasn't even thinking about anything. And like I went to, I was like, oh, it's dark. The lights are off. Cool. So let me find the light switch. And as soon as I turned them on, it was kind of like I saw them both and they were like, oh, like you caught me. <laughs> I was like, oh, I'm just going to go pee. I even kind of just like told them when I went in. But they, they're really funny because it seems like they're like almost like a, like a team that they, they, they're best friends or something. And they feed off each other. Like one will do something and the other one will follow. And they're just really funny. They have a really fun um, spirit towards them, you know, towards each other. I don't understand it either. They're either sisters or really best friends or maybe they're, you know, I don't know. They've worked together for a really long time. But they just seem to be having such a wonderful time in the, in the restroom. <laughs> it was just like, okay, sure. And as we were walking by, they're kind of chit-chatting, poking fun at us, like, oh, that's in the go. So it's really, they're just really neat. Um, I didn't get names for them yet, but I saw them, like, clearly, clearly, clearly saw them. So they're one of the stronger spirits in here, but I think they just ignore the other ones, right, or something. I think they just live in their own little world, and they love anything that's funny. Anything that happens that's funny that's their thing. If somebody trips over something or whatever it is, they are the they're the group, the comedic the comedic fun in the building. So they're the ones that are gonna do silly stuff just to get a laugh. They're your more mischievous, fun kind of girls. Um, but they typically stay in the concession area, like in the bottom downstairs concession area, all the time. Sitting up on the balcony, hearing Sarah describe these two young women spirits who reside in the lobby area immediately conjured up the thoughts of the laughing lady or ladies that many in the community here have experienced. In some cases, it's been reported hearing a jovial woman call out. Other times, it was joyous laughter. And in some cases, it was two women laughing. But always, I repeat, always, the sounds of the laughing ladies are heard coming from the lobby area. We didn't get a definitive answer to who these women were, but at least we had something that validated these many experiences a little more insight into the infamous laughing that many hear echo from the lobby area of this theater. Let's check out. Let me maybe invade her, if this is her space, a little bit. I don't know if I can invade this space. Ooh, costumes. Love it. At this time, Sarah was trying to seek out the strongest female spirit that had been evading her all night. She made her way up the balcony stairs to the costume room to the left of the projection booth. It was here that she stopped because she suddenly began picking up on a new male presence hanging around the booth. This is a different person. What? Oh, damn. Thank you. Didn't even have to ask. He's uh, dictating my drawings right now. This is somebody from the crawl space. Sarah mentioning this new male presence and the crawl spaces around the projection booth immediately made me recall Robert's encounter. The one he had measuring this building, where he had to crawl under the projection booth in a tight, confined space. 
it's interesting to think about whether I felt the presence of a male or a female because I projected a, a sense of a male. And no idea why, but I, I, you know, I tried to imagine this figure just, you know, arm's length away from me and the, the, the volume I thought I was receiving almost as though you could spray a mist on it. And it, and it felt to me like that would have been a male. There was unquestionably someone there to help. If I had any notion about who it could be, I would only think it's someone who maybe occupied that projection booth over years or a long time and had a special association with it. But he does come out here. He's just in here because of this lady, so he came up. Everybody's hiding from her. Um, <laughs> this, so if he, you would see him kind of like, if you're there, you'll kind of see him. If you're over there, you'll see his head, like the shadow of somebody's head in here. And this is usually, his name is Victor Beltran. I got a whole full name. He was very nice. He gave me his whole name. Victor Beltran. Okay. I asked him if he worked in, the, in, the, in this theater. He said no, that he was in, he's an electrician. So he came in to do some work, like the theater after I guess he passed away came over here <laughs> something about the space the the space itself mm-hmm. I'm interested as to the positioning of the building okay. um, why it's calling so many spirits in I'd have to look at I'd have to look at it in a map or something yeah. there's a lot of like a lot of energy but I don't know if it's just the energy because of the people that attend and the things that happen and right like that kind of stuff and that's what they're attracted to or if the building is just sitting on a perfect little spot. But I don't feel that. I don't feel like that. there's like, it's the energy of the, the property itself. It's, it feels to me more like the energy of the building. So he's hiding from this lady too. Yeah, we're gonna find this lady. Yeah, we need to find her because she's being, she's the only one I really want to have a conversation with that's like, that I know that it's going to be meaningful or she's going to just be ugly. I don't know, one, one or the other. We eventually had to make our way back downstairs. Sarah strongly believed that she would be able to connect with this elusive female presence up on the balcony, but had no luck. When we eventually made it back downstairs and sat in silence on the edge of the stage, Sarah finally felt something stirring. Okay, we're going to play the game. Okay, that's fine. I can sit here and I can play with you. I feel you. She's slamming daggers at me. Okay, I can wait. You're worth the wait. Are you going to let me see your face? Very pristine, perfect. Did you live here your whole life? She was a seamstress at one point of her life and then she started making costumes for a traveling something. Like I can see the, the marquee, like it's wooden. The paint is like yellow and red, yellow and red. Wow, this lady is amazing. So she's, she was a seamstress at one point. She got caught up with this traveling, like a traveling theater. And she was young then, so she's showing me like Maybe she was 15, 16 at that time. She got caught up with some man. She was in love. But she has such a great presence to her. She's just so tall. She's carrying herself well. She's dressed very well. What she's wearing is like a form-fitting dress. It has a really pretty, like a V-shape here and a very specific necklace. The necklace is very clear. It, I almost feel like if we saw it in a picture, you, I would know exactly like that's the necklace. Like I, I can see it very clearly around her neck. She has this very good stillness to her. Like she used to be a dancer or something like that. She's got this great poise. Her job was to dress everyone. 
that was what she did. And she took great pride in that. And then she went from dressing everyone to almost like, I don't know what you would call it. She's making sure she got all, like, all the actors ready. She did almost like production stuff, like making sure that they had everything ready. Like she just really started taking care of everything, that the music was right, that the lighting was right, that mo the marketing was done correctly. It's like she ran the whole space. But she started off, she's very, being very clear that she started off as a simple little seamstress. She's like, I worked my way up to this. I think that's why she carries herself with that kind of like, everything needs to be where it needs to be. She doesn't quite like the passerbys and the, <laughs> the spirits that have just kind of stayed to pop in to be permanent audience guests, but she tolerates them is the word that she's using. She is very much aware of Derek back here, and as long as he stays in his place, she's okay with that. So she doesn't seem to cross past a certain point, like in the middle of the stage. For some strange reason, she doesn't come all the way, but she will come to the to the edges of the stage to look and see and make sure that everything's okay. She's mostly looking at what they're wearing, the positioning of props, paraphernalia, chairs, like she's studying where everything is and where it should be. But she likes the view from the top because she can see everything. She can see everybody coming in and out. She can do all that good stuff. But for some reason, her and Derek, I'm gonna still call you that until you give me a real name, don't seem to mix very well, but they're not from the same era. She's much older than he is, as far as ghost age. I'm gonna start calling it ghost age because that's the only way I can distinguish the difference. Ghost age, she's much older than he is, but age-wise, she's younger than, than Derek. Derek is older than her by years, like maybe about 20 years. Do you feel she was tied to this building? Either that or she has an affection for it that grew, but it, it feels like it's not the kind of affection you would have. Like I, to me, it would be somebody who was part of everything that was happening. But she would have had that poise to her. You would have known immediately when she walked in the room. You would have known. Like if you would have known her, you'd know exactly what I'm talking about right now because you'd be like, oh yeah, that's, you know, so-and-so. I'm trying to get her to, to give me a, a, a name. Vivian? Viviana, Viviana, or just Vivian. I'm going to sound like a broken record at this point, but yet again, with the details that Sarah was picking up here on this present she was calling Vivian, there were no ties to that name and any prominent figures in this building's history. We were relieved, however, to find out that she wasn't an angry or malevolent spirit. She just had a very strong presence about her, according to Sarah. Do you, do you think on a timeline of people here, is she the longest here? So Anna or Anna, I think is older than, she's the oldest of, like ghost age, she's the oldest. Then it's Vivian, then it's Derek. Everyone else is newer, like they're newer spirits. So like in Victor, um, the two ladies in the bathroom, they're a little bit more, you know, I don't know how to say it, like more into like in the, 70s, 80s, 50s, right? They're just drawn in here. They were just they were just brought in. They're not associated with the building itself. The only one that really has ties to the building is Derek and Vivian. Okay. I'm still not quite sure how her tie her ties in, but Derek, I think it's it feels like he was like I don't know. It's like he either worked here, ran here, was always here. Like that, I don't know. It seems like he's always here because he knows the building really well. But again, they have, they have boundaries. He doesn't go past the concessions space, so he'll stay in here, but mostly back there. And she doesn't go past the curtains area. She doesn't go back there. She tries, she tries to stay here in this general area. 
she doesn't necessarily like to cross the stage and go over. Um, it's really strange. I never understood why ghosts compartmentalize that way. I guess it's just to live together. I don't understand why that happens. But they just kind of, maybe they're on different planes, but they can still see each other. I don't know. I don't know how that works out. But Vivian is aware of these other, other spirits, but she's not able to, like they can feel her and they know when she's coming in the room, but I don't think they've necessarily seen each other. Because right now they're really surprised. I guess because I can see them all in the same room, they're kind of like, oh, I'm making them aware of, more aware of each other. As we were wrapping up, the spirit Derek seemed to grow more persistent in getting Sarah to convey some of the safety concerns to board member Tim before we left. Derek, are you going to talk to me? Is that not your name? You've responded, so I think... Is there somebody that you want me to talk to? Is there something you need me to tell Tim? Besides the electrical work, I know. I told him that already. He's gonna look into it, I promise. Tim, you're gonna go look into the electrical thing back there, right? Like, he's gonna go look. He's looking, look, he's gonna go right now. He's going with, go with him. You can go with him. We still had our wireless mics on, so I followed Tim while Sarah stayed on the stage. As we made our way backstage, we were going to see if we could sort of play the hot cold game with Derek. Sarah, of course, being the medium communicating the responses. You can hear Sarah joking with Derek here on the stage while we are far in the backstage area. Oh my goodness. <laughs> That's funny. Should I tell him, just fix it? Just fix it. Where are you at? Where are you? <laughs> Where, we think, a lot of old did we find it, Sarah? Wherever, you, wherever Tim is at. Where's Tim? What is it, Sarah? I don't know. There's, he's got to look around. There's something there. That he's got to pay attention to. Look at the floor. Whatever it is, just fix it. <laughs> fix it. The divot in the floor I think we found. Tim had revealed to us a large divot, which was definitely significant under a carpeted transition into the back break room area backstage. It was at the point of a large step down into the break room and definitely could have posed a tripping hazard onto concrete. Sarah was getting yes signals when we were here looking at this spot. So she yelled at us from the stage, that's it. So Tim made a note to do his best to fix it, heeding Derek's warning and request. It was after this that we packed up our gear and said our goodbyes to Tim and the supposed energies that lent their voices and stories to us that night through Sarah. I was disheartened. As I mentioned, I usually get in cases where the findings don't line up with the current lore, history, or beliefs. But although it was disappointing in a way to not hear Sarah clearly describe some prominent figures and presences believed to be here at the gaslight, I have to say she did pick up a lot of commonly reported activity and in very specific areas that it's reported. The joyful women in the lobby area who love to laugh and have fun, the female presences from the balcony and the male presences in the auditorium that like to watch performances and rehearsals, and then the movement and displacement of objects to which Sarah attributed to Derek. We'd heard many of the staff and patrons here at the Gaslight Baker Theater report such events and feelings often. But something bothered me when we left this case. I still couldn't get this spirit Derek out of my head. Editing this series, I was haunted by thoughts of him. The locations that Sarah said he liked in the theater, the genuine concern he had for safety, his mention of the stage area and the wall not being right, his hat, his hat. It was that last detail that struck me. Sarah saw Derek wearing a hat. This didn't stand out to me at the time, but it eventually came to me. 
It was David's dream. And in the dream, I, I turned around and there's a, an older gentleman that's, that's standing there. And I thought it was unusual. He's wearing a, a kind of a English riding cap, you know, kind of a floppy hat with a, with a brim on it. And he's carving into an apple with a pocket knife. It was a tiny clue, but it was enough to lead me down a path to this discovery. I had overlooked a critical piece of audio. Because we were shooting in a new style with individual lavalier mics due to the pandemic, at one moment in the investigation, I was with Tim backstage, and Sarah had decided to go with the team member Bo down under the stage area. I was completely unaware of this because I had killed her audio feed in my headphones while I was talking with Tim, and I never heard what she discovered under there. But now, let's listen to this other clue that tied directly to David's dream. There he is. Okay. Don't mess with Bo. It's something else. You know what I'm seeing? You're going to think this is really weird, and maybe you're not. I'm seeing half a body, like, sitting. I'm, I mean, I'm half a body sitting right now. But not like that. Like, if your head was up in the floor, and your legs were down at the bottom? Like, so their torso is... Head is above the stage? Like the like if it was cut in half and half of it was up and half of it was down. See like right where you are, it's starting to be like feet and like chairs and bodies. So every single one of these is the old seating. <laughs> that makes so much sense. So they're all, they're all these big blue cushiony I wonder like movie theater chairs instead of like the old I wonder if when they did the remodel, maybe one of the spirits that used to like to sit in those seats got stuck in the chair. After first hearing this hidden moment under the stage with Sarah and Bo, I knew it meant something, but I just couldn't figure it out. I had to go back to David's dream, and then it clicked. What's so important to note is that the audio of our investigation with Sarah was recorded long before my interview with David Snyder. So what you're about to hear and how it lines up is really incredible. And then, surprisingly, we walked out of the wall, and he said that when I couldn't get my footing, that I had to remember that I had to stay in my world. The stairs and the staging up there had been completely rebuilt, and we had it rebuilt for the Glenn Miller Orchestra and had made larger seating areas to accommodate the new seating. But when I looked out, all of the chairs um, were there, and they had uh, wispy, uh, I guess, uh, apparitions that were sitting in there, and they looked almost like tongues of fire. When I asked the gentleman what those were, um, he said that those were the experiences of everybody that were in the theater, this impression that, that was left there. And as he was discussing this, I saw somebody rise up from where the stage had been built stands up so only half of them is visible and walks across to the far side and disappears through the wall and the door slams abruptly and i said well what was his problem and he said you took his seat and you closed his door i needed to get david on the phone again to get clarity of what he saw at this moment in his dream and also how it related to the renovations on the stage area he mentions. In, in my dream, 
the spirit or whatever that was that I saw stands up through the stage and, and goes out and slams the door. Um, and so when the community theater took ownership of the building, there, there was no stage. And so the seats went all the way up to what was the original orchestra pit. And so they removed probably, you know, a quarter of the seats in order to build the existing stage right now. This was absolutely some incredible validation, simply because I had not had the previous call with David or this one before Sarah had gone to the theater. So Sarah is picking up exactly what this theater would have looked like before the renovations. She'd have no way of knowing that. Besides, she's also pointing out the exact activity that David witnessed as well in his dream. Someone halfway appearing through the stage at the level the seats would have been under the stage area. But I still had questions. I still couldn't piece together who Derek was. Was he other guy? Or was he who they thought Colonel Baker was? I just couldn't figure it out and it was killing me. But I knew, talking to David more, I had one more thing I needed to ask him. It was about the guy in his dream and what he looked like. I know there's more to this mystery, and I know we're never going to have all the answers, but um, we got some validation for the activity, and it's uniquely strange how it coincides with a lot of what you've experienced in some of your dreams, too. That's why your story stood out to me the most, because there was a lot of connections there. But it feels like, weirdly, one energy that Sarah was being guided by and told all this stuff to. But then again, now that I'm thinking about it, the guy in your dream is the one that told you all that. Right. He had a little hat on. Right. What do you recall, uh, like, as much as you can in your dream, what do you recall him looking like? Um, he was uh, a little heavier set. Uh, if I remember correctly, he was wearing a, a white shirt that had the sleeves rolled up, uh, and I thought it was just khaki pants, if I remember, and then he was kind of that, that hat that, um, you know, I, I was thinking of it as kind of a gimme hat, but it's just a, it's a collapsible hat you'd see um, I guess it reminds me of, you know, Scottish men that, that kind of wore. In, in, in my mind right now, I'm not picturing specific features other than, you know, heavier set. I think, um, I guess in my dream, it was the, the shock of seeing him just kind of caught me off guard. As far as like his, what he did in life, what would you assume? Was he really high class, kind of a hard worker? What was his appearance? I figured he was definitely more working class, someone who was just, you know, khakis and a white shirt and, you know, not hat. He was definitely working class. Sarah hadn't gotten much of a read on Derek's physical appearance, but she picked up that he was always wearing a hat and wouldn't take it off. I must note, though, that the hat in her sketches seemed more like a well-worn fedora of some kind. However, Sarah also noted this about Derek. He's more um, rugged, I guess is the word I'm looking for, more, he would be the one that's doing all the heavy lifting, like moving items that are, you know, big, moving them onto the stage, moving them off, doing that, like he has that kind of bravado to him when it comes to like being, I'm the one who does all this stuff. Although the behaviors of the spirit Derek fit the activity many report and attribute to Colonel Baker, it was this one piece of evidence that tied to the man in David's dream that made me realize this spirit simply doesn't line up with Colonel Baker. In all the research we did, we found evidence that Baker was not drafted in the war due to issues with one of his legs. And in photographs we've seen him in, he's well-dressed, with a hat, yes, but a suit or a coat as well, and also a cane. 
So it's fascinating to ponder who this Derek could actually be. Um, and he just enjoys everything about the back side of the theater, right? Like everything, moving stuff, setting stages, turning the lights on and off, you know, making sure everybody's ready. If you're going to see him, see him, physically see him, you would see him moving the curtain so that he could see a little bit from the vantage point of the backside to see the audience members' faces. He likes that. He loves the energy that happens in the back when people are playing off each other being that. He just likes that a lot. He was the person that would have been moving prop, constantly doing stuff. So if you're experiencing anything back there, it's gonna be moving of objects. You put something down and you swear you put it down in the right spot, you come back and it's gone, right? You're like, oh my God, you start panicking. Where is it? Everybody's looking for it. You know, whatever it is this item is. And then like magic, it appears and it's him. But that's, you know, it was his passion. It was what he liked to do, being part of that world. Now, whether he was part of that world in this building or not, I don't know, because he hasn't really made it really super clear. On the night of her visit, a lot of the activity that Sarah attributed to Derek lined up with a mixture of activity that the staff and patrons had experienced in the stage and backstage area. And I think my mind, much like the patrons and volunteers, wanted to associate someone who was special to this place, someone who meant a lot to this community. Colonel Baker was who they attributed all the benevolent and playful activity to. And I sadly started to do the same. I was looking for connections to tie the spirit Sarah was talking to, to either Colonel Baker or other guy. And I think that's where I was going wrong, because I was preventing myself from seeing the truth that this could possibly be another spirit that was just wrongfully named. They called him Colonel Baker because it fit. But if you look at David's dream, and the way David speaks of these moments of guidance throughout his career and time at the theater, moments where someone was always looking out for him, preventing him from breaking his legs on the ladder. There was the woman who broke her ribs and was able to find a towel in the dark and prop herself up to prevent her lungs from filling up with blood. There are constant fire alarms chirping, objects being displaced, Lights flickering. All these things that they attribute to Colonel Baker, these things fit the way Derek behaved around Sarah that night we visited. He was constantly trying to be safe, telling us about safety concerns, electrical issues, and possible fire hazards. And if you look at all the activity and compare that to the person in David's dream and the person who guided Sarah around the theater, it all points to the possibility that there very well could be a spirit misbelieved to be Colonel Baker haunting the Gaslight Baker Theater. And his name very well might be Derek. You know, I I think anybody who's been involved in the theater has their own feelings when they walk into the theater. And I think we have taken the stories that we've heard of the people who were there in the past, Colonel Baker, the Valentines, and from that, then I think we can attribute some of the stuff that we're feeling in those different spaces. Like when I felt the the presence of the laughing woman, you know, and when I looked up and I saw the picture of Ida Pewitt, my first inclination is seeing her smile and kind of going, okay, she's the laughing woman. When we have the benevolent presence on stage and kind of mischief with the light smoke alarm going off, we kind of attribute that to Colonel Baker um, watching over his space. And then the, the presence of other guy in the 
women's dressing room and in the tool room below. I think we we kind of equate that with something that either may have been a little more intimidating spirit. And so even if Sarah wasn't able to pick up on those particular personas that we've um, given, it doesn't negate the fact that she was able to to pick up the presence of spirits in the places where all of us have had the experiences. And so, you know, I, I do think that the, the Baker Theater is an active paranormal place, and it's one of the things that makes the Gaslight Baker and the Baker Building such a fascinating place to be. As I've mentioned... I don't like to destroy or damage the beautiful idea that this community here believes about Colonel Baker returning to a place that he loved and cherished. He very well might. But the night that we visited the gaslight, this was what we discovered. And many of the claims and experiences did in fact coincide with what Sarah picked up that evening. And as for other guy, if what David said was true about his presence mostly being felt after midnight, we left prior to that time on the night of our investigation so Sarah might not have had an opportunity to explore his energy either. One day, maybe we'll return. But as for now, we can't definitively say who these spirits are. In time, maybe something will reveal itself. But at the close of this particular case, it will remain a mystery. Quick note, listeners, the Night Owl podcast will no longer have a strict release schedule. We will now complete an investigation and take the necessary time needed to edit it. Because this is an unscripted, unpredictable show, it is just not possible to maintain the regular monthly schedule we used to have. Be sure to subscribe to our newsletter on our website, thenightowlpodcast.com, follow us on Instagram or Facebook at The Night Owl Podcast, and consider becoming a patron and supporting our show on patreon.com slash the night owl podcast to stay up to date with our show's news and events thanks again to our sponsors city alchemist and oh boy print shop don't forget to check out the night for tour dates merch episode blogs and more and please rate and review our show on apple podcasts and join our community of supporters at patreon.com slash the night owl podcast stay restless out there This podcast was mastered by David Dalton at Driftwork Sound. If you have some good songs that just need a little magic to come to life, reach out to Driftwork Sound, and David will help you get your music across the finish line. Whether your songs just need some analog love, a fresh musical perspective, or even session recordings with the best musicians in Austin, you'll find everything you need at driftworksound.com. That's driftworksound.com. If you've made it this far, you've discovered an Easter egg. A teaser to our next case. Hey, so I wanted to tell you about this girl. She came in. Her name is Luna. Uh, she came in with her daughter and uh, one of her friends that basically had heard about our shop and who we were on uh, Instagram and, you know, basically told her, you need to go to the shop and talk to these guys because they can help you with your situation. And Luna basically was just telling us that, well, she had a few things first. First, she, she's a, you know, she's kind of a spiritual practitioner and she was asking for some advice, especially from Eric regarding, you know, using certain altars and, and having things set up in her home. But then the conversation kind of turned a little darker and she mentioned that 
she literally had to leave her house because she's had so much activity happen. And she was actually staying with her friend. That's why her friend brought her to the shop. And she said, like, the activity just kind of kept, like, progressively getting worse and worse and worse. And at one point, she looked at her son, her teenage son, and looked at her daughter. And they basically looked at each other and said, this is like hell. Like, this is, like, we can't take this anymore. And they all kind of agreed. And so that's why they decided to leave for, I think it was like three or four days. They just could not be home. And uh, they called their dad because he's kind of the one that helped them kind of get the house and, and put things together, you know, and, and he's a little more, um, I guess, she, the way she made it seem like he's a little more, like, level-headed in the sense that, like, we'll take care of it type deal. So uh, he said he was going to come into town and kind of help out. But until then, they're staying with their friend. And she asked if there was a way, a way we could just, like, go do a cleansing. And I said, yes, we could. I said, but well, I think it would be good if we got the team involved because then it could be a lot more thorough if we can get Sarah in there and, and, and you know, we also to kind of go and investigate and make sure it's not just, you know, rats or something because she mentioned, like, ugly smells and scratching in the walls and things like that. 